Today on Blue 58, the Packers took care of business against a bad team, so how should we feel about the Packers beating a team they were supposed to beat? Well, probably fine, but more importantly, what big questions are still out there? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode. Another episode after a Packers win. Before we get too far, I'd like to remind you that this podcast is sponsored in part by Ticket King. The Packers have only two home games left this year, and I bet you'd like to be there to see them. Why not get started with that process by checking out this coming Sunday's game against the Washington Redskins at Lambeau Field? Head to theticketking.com to snag your tickets for Sunday's game, or check out the ticket links at thepowersweep.com. It'll serve the exact same purpose. But time's ticking. Boy, only four games left in the regular season, and only two of them at home. Packers on the road this week, getting their ninth win against the New York Giants. What happened? Well, the Packers won. Like I said up top, they took care of business against the team they were supposed to beat. Why did it happen, though? More importantly, why? Well, it's it's because the Giants, the Giants are bad. They're not a good football team. The Packers were supposed to beat them, and they did. 31-13 the final. That's all for this episode of Blue 58. Thanks so much for tuning in. The Packers will be back in action next Sunday against the Washington Redskins. Uh, until then, we'll just uh, we'll wait this out and see what goes from there. That, that's what we could do in this recap. Honestly, that's there's no point in really talking about what actually happened in this game. There's no why to this game. The Packers are better than the Giants. They were supposed to beat the Giants, and they did. 31-13 to the final. It, it was exactly as close as the final score looked. Yeah, the Giants probably hung around longer than they should have, but the Packers ultimately put up enough points to make the margin look like the margin you'd expect between these two teams, about 18 points. That feels about right. So instead of talking about what exactly happened in this game that allowed the Packers to win, I want to talk about some of the bigger questions that this game presented. This is by no means a comprehensive list, but I came up with three. First, why is Geronimo Allison still getting reps? Second, what is Mike Pettin's long-term job security? And third, why isn't Aaron Jones getting the ball more? First, the Geronimo Allison question. Um, this one was interesting to me on a day that the Packers wide receivers had a pretty good, pretty good outing at first glance. But digging deeper into the stats, hmm, maybe not so much. Between Devontae Adams and Alan Lazard, you'd think that it was a great receiving day for just about everybody. But other than those two, the Packers wide receiver group only combined for two catches for 20 yards. They just can't seem to get open regularly in the passing game. So why is Geronimo Allison out there still getting reps? Because he's not good. He's had a bad season. But I think there are three plays from this game that show why he's still getting reps. And that says as much about the rest of the Packers receivers as it does about Allison himself. The first was a fourth down play on the Packers' second-to-last scoring drive of the game. Packers are facing a fourth and ten. Aaron Rodgers drops back to pass, and he's pressured pretty quickly. Kind of just wings the ball up to Geronimo Allison, who catches the ball and comes up with a clutch fourth down conversion. Pretty big play. On the Packers' next scoring drive, they're facing a third and short when Geronimo Allison, knowing exactly where the sticks are, comes up again with a play that allows the Packers to convert and keep their drive going, moving right down the field for what ultimately is the final score of the game, putting their their margin at an insurmountable 18 points. 
two relatively key plays there that depended on Allison being in the right place at the right time and coming up with a timely catch. That's all well and good, but there's another play that I think shows why he is getting reps ahead of some of these other guys like Jake Kumaro and Marquez Valdez-Scantling. On the Packers' last substantive drive, they faced a third and seven play. Lined up to the far left of the formation, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, he of the world-class speed, had just miles of space in front of him. The Giants defensive back clearly respected his speed and was playing nine to ten yards off him at least. Aaron Rodgers appeared to recognize this and called out to Valdez Scantling, trying to get his attention and appeared to get it when Valdez Scantling looked back towards the inside at Rodgers. But after the play or after the ball was snapped, Rodgers threw to Valdez Scantling on what's supposed to what looked to be a quick, uh, like smokescreen type play. Only MVS had run downfield. He wasn't where Rodgers thought he was going to be, and Rodgers let him have it on the way off the field. Those sorts of plays are why Geronimo Allison is getting reps ahead of Marquez Valdez-Scantling and Jake Kumaro. I wish it wasn't the case, but those guys need to be making those plays, those easy layup plays that let you get trust from Aaron Rodgers to, to get ahead of Allison on the depth chart. And I know that the whole th- Aaron Rodgers needs to trust a receiver thing is probably... Well, I mean, I mean, it's easy to criticize Rodgers for that. Just throw the guy, throw the ball to the guys that are out there. But these are like Masters level plays, Masters graduate course level plays for wide receivers, and they should be making these plays if they want to play with Aaron Rodgers. This is a a play that could have salted the game away for the Packers. There was, I think, about four and a half minutes to go uh, when this play happened. Maybe even a little bit more than that. It could have been about six minutes. Um, that's not really the point, the exact figure on the clock. The point is the Packers could have run more clock, potentially even gone down and scored again. Or um, like we saw against the Raiders, maybe MVS breaks a tackle and gets into the open field and and you've got a real big play. Those are the sort of opportunities that uh, MVS and other young receivers are missing. Allison is at least getting into the right position some of these times. Today, he came up with, with a couple catches, that we've seen him drop in past weeks, but at least he's there. These other receivers haven't been there. And that, I think, is the enough of a difference right now that's, that's putting Allison on the field ahead of some of these guys. The second question is concerning Mike Pettin's long-term job security. I don't think Mike Pettin should be considered a lock for 2020. And this is a story, I don't want to say I've been behind on this, but other people have been talking about his... His job performance as as defensive coordinator um, a lot more than I have. What I can tell you is he's consistently dropped in in our approval rating polls week over week. People just do not do not care for Mike Pettin and the job he's doing as the Packers' defensive coordinator. To put it a different way, imagine Dom Capers ranking 28th in yards allowed, 23rd in passing yards, and 26th in rushing yards after the offseason the Packers had. So the Packers go out and sign. Uh, Zadarius Smith, Preston Smith, Adrian Amos, they draft Rashawn Gary, they draft Darnell Savage. They're loaded up on defense, and still they're putting up numbers like this. That's where the Packers ranked coming into this game. And yet Mike Pettin doesn't face the same heat that Dom Capers did, and it's because he hasn't had the same postseason situation that uh, that Dom Capers has had. But the performance is not good. And perhaps more concerning... 
nothing seems to change. You have the same issues again and again and again. The Packers are soft in the middle. They give up big plays to tight ends or anybody who cares to stroll through the middle of the Packers' defense. They give up explosive plays week in and week out to a an alarming degree. And then this week, they added playing super soft on third and fourth downs to that list of ongoing issues. What's the deal? And why isn't it better? Working as I did very briefly at, at Costco in their major sales department, I help people out with their electronics. And one of the things that you'd have to do periodically is kind of troubleshoot on the fly uh, for people who having having uh, computer issues, wondering whether or not they should upgrade. And, and the thing you want to narrow it down to is whether their problem is a, is a software issue or a hardware issue. If you've got a good computer with good specs, chances are a problem that you may be having with it is just just your your software the the things that the programs that you're running so we'll use browsing the internet as an example a lot of people have had bad experiences uh, with internet explorer but if that's all you use to browse the internet it's going to seem pretty slow and if you don't know about your other options out there you're it's never going to seem like you can get anything fixed or get anywhere with any kind of speed that's a software issue that's a problem that we can say oh you're you're having trouble getting anywhere with any kind of uh, quickness on the internet? Have you tried using a different browser? That's something that you can change. If it's a hardware issue, if your computer is just slow, if it's old, if it's out of date, that's something that you need to change too. But that's a different problem entirely than software. I think when you look at a football team's performance, you can break down issues that a, a team has into hardware and software issues too. Is the problem that you're having with the players who are on the field or with the person who's making decisions about what those players do. The coach in this situation would be the software. The players are going to be the hardware. The Packers shouldn't have any hardware issues on the field currently. I know people love to beat up on Kevin King. I think he's he's pretty good. He's better than they've had at that position for some time. He's better than, than the 2017 and 2018 versions of Kevin King. He's better than Demarius Randall or Quentin Rollins or Ladarius Gunter, God forbid. Um, and, and throughout the Packers' defense elsewhere. They're better almost across the board at just about every position than they've been in relatively recent memory. It's not a hardware issue. So where does that leave you? It leaves you with, with needing an upgrade in your software. It leaves you with needing a coaching upgrade. And I couldn't really point to one thing that I, I think Pettin is doing that, that's really holding the Packers back. It seems like he's been awful conservative blitzing. It seems like he's been passive in some other areas but that's about as specific as I can get but if you're not if you can't change any of the people who are out there and after the offseason the Packers had what else would you change it kind of leaves you just circling back to Mike Pettin and I would have a hard time feeling really good about bringing him back for 2020 with the season that the Packers are having third big question is why isn't Aaron Aaron Jones excuse me getting the ball more Jones kind of curiously did not touch the ball at all on the Packers' final two drives of the game. Now, the game was decided in the three plays after his last carry because the Packers scored a touchdown. On the very next play, it was the pass to Mercedes Lewis. And then two plays later, Daniel Jones threw his third interception of the game. At that point, the Packers are up 31-13. to And really, whatever happens at that point is, is academic. 
But speaking a little bit more broadly, he had a season-low usage rate last week of just over 17%. So that means he was getting the ball in 17% of the Packers' offensive plays. He was the focus of 17% of their offensive plays, I should say. That was up to almost 29% this week, but it didn't seem super consequential. So if the Packers are still getting him the ball in almost 30% of their plays, maybe the question then is how to get him more consequential touches. And I don't feel like I have a good answer for this. Um, last week, the 49ers said that they keyed on him in the passing game. That's why it looked like they were switching on to him with defensive backs when he would split out wide. That seems to have a, a tremendous effect, seems to have had a tremendous effect for the 49ers. Meanwhile, the Giants seemed to have him figured out in the running game, almost to the point that it looked a lot of times like the Giants knew exactly was com- what was coming when the Packers were going to run the ball. That's kind of concerning from a, a more macro perspective, but you'd think Jones would be able to get a little bit more going in the running game. See, he's been effectively taken away the last couple of weeks, and, th- and that's a big problem. So how do you get him more consequential, more impactful touches on offense? I think the key is going to be in the passing game. I think you have to keep throwing him the ball however you can. Split him out wide, swing him out of the backfield, run screens if that's what you got to do. Just get him the ball in space and let him him work from there. That's what worked the last time he really went off against the the Kansas City Chiefs, and perhaps that's the way to get him get him unstuck going forward. I do think you have to try to get him the ball in space however you can. So the Packers win. Uh, those questions notwithstanding, it's a 31-13 to win for the Green Bay Packers this week. What does this win mean? Well, pending the result of the Vikings-Seahawks game on Monday night, they may be again in sole possession of first place in the NFC North. That, needless to say, would be a good place to be. If the Vikings win, they'll still have the lead in the North by virtue of that head-to-head tiebreaker over the Vikings, so you got to feel pretty good about that. A win allows them... Uh, to to maintain their hold either outright or by a tiebreaker in the NFC North. This win is also very important for them keeping pace with the rest of the top of the NFC. They're going to want to stay as close uh, to the 49ers and Seahawks and Vikings and Saints as they can, even if they don't end up getting one of those top two seeds. You'd prefer to be hosting a playoff game as the NFC North champion as opposed to going on the road there in the first round of the playoffs if that's where you're going to end up. So continuing to win is going to be very important, and it will affect your seeding throughout the rest the rest of the playoffs. What happens next for the Packers? They get the Washington Redskins at Lambeau Field. Washington is 3-9. and nine. They beat the Carolina Panthers today. A bit of a surprise there. Uh, but I think this is going to be another should-win game for the Packers at Lambeau Field, especially since it is at Lambeau Field. Uh, I want to throw a note here uh, as well on the name Redskins. I don't like the name Washington Redskins, but I have made the editorial decision for myself on the podcast and at thepowersweep.com to either say or write it out. Um and I think that's that's mildly contrary to some other established practices throughout um, the rest of NFL internet. Um, not liking the name and saying it because you don't like it is, I don't think that is helpful because it's still their name. Um, and I think it's, it's our job to give accurate information however we can. I happen to think it's offensive. At best, it's an anachronism. There are several studies that show that maybe the idea of it being offensive is more white people thing than than otherwise. Uh, I don't really want to get into that, but 
the larger point is that I think saying their name and owning that name calls more attention to the issue of the name than pretending like they don't have a name at all. So I will be saying the name Washington Redskins, yeah, even though I don't don't particularly like it. Um, whatever your opinion on it, I would encourage you to, to take a second and think about what you think of that name. If you're fine with it, that's your prerogative. If you're not, uh, think about exactly exactly why not. I think that's what this gives us an opportunity to do. Um, think about issues like this. Let's empty out the notebook uh, here on the Packers-Giants game before we move on to Washington uh, coming up this Sunday. Uh, the Packers got a ton of pressure on Daniel Jones Sunday but no sacks. This, I think, was another classic study, much like the Panthers game, in affecting the passing game without getting sacks. The Packers were credited with seven quarterback hits in this game. That seems a tick low to me. Uh, Zedaria Smith had five. Kyler Fackrell had two. Looked to me like Rashawn Gary had at least one, but the official stat sheet does not credit him with one. Uh, but the Packers were definitely getting pressure on Daniel Jones, and it affected the game in a big way. They also got their hands on the ball a ton. This is something we've harped on over the course of this season. They had 10 ball hawks in this one. This is the sixth time they've hit double digits uh, in ball hawks this year. Another another big point of emphasis, I think, for this Packers defense is just continuing to get to the ball and make plays on the ball. And uh, that was something that they were able to do in this one. So that was rewarding to see as well. On offense, we saw something from the Packers we haven't seen in quite a while. That was Danny Vitale involved in the passing game in a non-checkdown sort of sort of way. And that was through the fullback leak route. This is something that if you follow Ben Fennell at The Athletic that he harps on consistently because it's a really cool play. A uh, really simple thing. Um, but... Uh, Basically, your your fullback and, and running back lineup in a classic I formation, and it's a play action pass that looks like the fullback is lead blocking through a hole in the line. But instead of stopping and, and blocking, he just continues moseying straight down the field, hopefully getting behind whatever linebacker is running with him. Uh, that's what happened with Vitali in this game, but it, it, they just couldn't quite connect. He couldn't quite connect with Rodgers for whatever reason. Uh, he may actually have ended up matched up against a defensive back, which had been. Uh, a little bit unfortunate because that's not really how that play is supposed to work, but it was cool to see it nonetheless. Uh, let's talk for a second about the Packers specialists in this one. A good special teams game for the Packers, I think, overall, if only because of how Mason Crosby and J.K. Scott performed. Mason Crosby hit a tough 47-yard field goal in the snow, and J.K. Scott was back to to kicking deep again. He averaged 46.7 yards per punt, landed all three of them deep, officially two of them inside the 20. A good day for the Packers kickers, despite the the conditions. Quick note on the announcers, Tom Brenneman said this is the 99th season of Packers football. That is incorrect. It is at least their 101st season, and uh, depending on how exactly you want to count, you could go back actually much further than that. There are versions of the Packers stretching back well into the 19th century, but this is not the time to discuss that uh, that particular aspect of Packers history. Um, Aaron Rodgers has been not so great at grabbing the free plays as he's uh, been historically, uh, at least recently. But in this game, he count- I had at least three free plays credited to him. He had two on the first drive, and then he had the, the free play touchdown um, 
to Devontae Adams to go up 24-13. to 13. It was really exciting to see that part of his game come back. Finally, Darnell Savage snags his second pick of his career, second of the season, uh, but he did it in a decidedly unspectacular fashion. He got what I call the Ha Clinton Dick special, basically just camping out over a deep overthrow. Hey, they all count as interceptions in the box score. They don't have to be pretty. Like I always say, there are no style points in the NFL, and uh, certainly he is not getting any style points for that one. It still counts, though. It's still an interception, and Darnell Savage, don't let anybody tell you otherwise. That's all I've got for you on this episode. do appreciate you taking the time to check us out. Uh, If you've got the time, leave us a rating and review in whatever podcast app you use. I use the app Overcast, and you can do podcast uh, um, recommendations in that app if you use Overcast as well, and I think you should. It's a really great way to listen to podcasts. Uh, leave us a recommendation in that app or wherever you happen to listen. It does help more people find the show. If you'd like to take your support to the next level, check out the support page at thepowersweep.com. There you will find other means by which to support us uh, through our Patreon, through buying t-shirts and sweatshirts, through our Teespring link. Check those out. Uh, it's good stuff. But the best way, I think, to support us is by leaving us uh, ratings, or questions, excuse me, questions, comments, feedback, wherever you find us on the internet. So Facebook, Twitter, email, our contact page at thepowersweep.com. Whatever is on your mind, let us know because that advances the conversation around the Packers and helps us further our mission of helping everybody become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I've been your host, John Meerdick. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.